0: Well, as we uh, put the sermon outline in the bulletin each week, and so many of you have had a chance to look at it by now and you stayed with us, I want to commend you. That is, uh, that is very good. The topic today is giving. And so I was wondering if we should withhold the outline until you were all comfortably seated. Uh, I thought that would be funny, and it is not. So, uh, last week we looked at a single verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Uh, where Paul is encouraging the Corinthians uh, to excel in the grace of giving. And in doing so, uh, he commended them for several areas that they were excelling in, and then challenged them in this one area where they needed uh, to do better. And I'm sure many of you were hoping uh, that the last few minutes of last week's sermon were all you were going to hear on the topic of giving, but it is not so. So, uh, we are spending today looking more closely at 2 Corinthians 8, which means considering the topic of giving because that is what this chapter uh, deals with. For those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, uh, I just want to mention to you that we do not speak on this topic very often. It just happened to be your lucky day. And uh, uh, you know, somebody has to be visiting when we, when we talk about this. Uh, in 10 years as a church, we've only talked about this a handful of times in the Sunday uh, service, and I share that just to mention that if you have ever been exposed uh, to a church where there was an overemphasis on this topic, uh, that simply is not the case here. I believe our any of our members would affirm that for you. Uh, but, you know, friends, this is a topic that's in the Bible. Jesus himself had a lot to say about money And it's a topic that we really can't shrink back from uh, just because some have wrongly overemphasized it or approached it in a legalistic or unkind way. And we really can't hide the fact, so we we might as well just be honest about it with everybody, that it is uh, just a fact of uh, being a Christian, that when you become one, Jesus Christ becomes Lord of your life. He becomes Lord of your entire life. And that includes uh, your money. So this is a, a topic, a valid topic, that we need to discuss every once in a while. So let's take a look at our text, 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to consider verses 1 through 12. I'll read and you follow along as I do. Here's what we find. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. Some translations say they exceeded our expectations. But gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it With the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So keep in mind as we go forward today, uh, the context of what we're uh, reading. About a year previous to this writing, the Corinthians had expressed their intention of giving in an offering to help the Christians in the Jerusalem church who were facing a great difficulty, including a famine. They had even taken the step of starting to take up the collection. But as of yet, a year later, they had not finalized it. They had not made good on the commitment. They had not completed uh, the offering. They had not sent it to the Jerusalem uh, church. So keep all of this in mind as we look at how Paul went about encouraging the Corinthians toward excelling in this grace of financial uh, giving. The first thing that Paul does is tells the Corinthians about the example that had been set by the Macedonian churches. We find three things about the Macedonian Christians in verses 1 through 5. Now, first of all, he says that they were joyful even though they were facing severe trials of their own and that they were generous even though they were in extreme poverty I guess technically that's really two things, but it's very closely linked things. In trials, but joyful. In poverty, but generous. The Corinthian church was much better off materially than the Macedonian church. But as of yet, they had not made good on their intentions. But the Macedonians, even though they were poor, they had given generously and had completed their giving. In poverty, but generous. And Paul describes it as rich generosity. We are barely into this eighth chapter, and we have already encountered an important truth, a truth that people want to deny, but it is a where the rubber meets the road reality. And here it is. Generosity... Is not about the size of your bank account. Generosity is about the condition of your heart. The idea that so many of us carry around that we'd be generous if we just had the means to be generous is an illusion. Generosity isn't about means, it is about the heart. The Macedonians were in extreme poverty but they found a way to give to be generous. And so here's the truth. If someone has a generous heart, they will find a way to be generous. They will find a way to give even if they don't have much. And here's the second thing we find about the Macedonian churches in verse four. We find that they were eager to give. Paul wrote that they urgently pleaded with us For the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They were poor themselves, but when presented with an opportunity to give, they urgently pleaded to be allowed to participate. They did not say things like, well, we'd give if we weren't in so much need ourselves. They didn't say, well, we'd give if we had it, but we just don't. They didn't say, why are you taking an offering for Jerusalem? Why aren't you taking an offering for Macedonia? They didn't say, how dare you present an opportunity to give to us when we're struggling so much ourselves. No, they were eager to give. They urgently pleaded to be allowed to participate in the offering. Friends, I uh, present to us today that this is supposed to be the attitude of all of those who have been on the receiving end of the extravagant grace of God. Those who have freely received the grace of God, our hearts are supposed to be so captured by what God has done for us that we take on that same attitude of extravagant grace, of extravagant generosity. I want to assure you today that I don't say anything that I'm going to say today as one who has arrived. I share it as a fellow traveler challenged by the example of the Macedonians? When we have an opportunity to give presented to us, are we eager? Are we inclined toward generosity or are we reluctant? Or worse, are we annoyed? Or worse, are we hostile even? Or do we practice the extravagant grace that we've received? Do we practice the extravagant generosity that we've been on the receiving end of? The third thing we find about the Macedonian uh, churches is as challenging, if not more so, than what we've already found, and that is that they exceeded expectations. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Verse 5, they did not do as we expected. Again, some translations say they exceeded expectations, which is the sense that is contained in this. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. I think verse 5 is a little hard to understand at first reading, and so I want to share what William MacDonald has said about it. He writes that this sentence means, quote, that first there was a complete committal of their lives to Christ, then they willingly gave themselves to Paul in the sense that they wanted to help in the collection For Jerusalem. And he goes on and writes, they said to Paul, in effect, we have given ourselves to the Lord, and now we give ourselves to you as his administrator. Tell us what to do, since you are an apostle of Christ our Lord. They gave beyond their ability. They exceeded expectations. Now, let me share what I uh, think giving beyond your ability is not. I don't think this means they borrowed from their neighbor to give. I don't think it means they went into debt to give. I think it simply means that if an objective observer had looked at the means that these people had, that would have been able to look at the income they had and the resources they had, an objective observer would have concluded that they either couldn't give or they could give just a little bit amount Uh, But these folks found a way to give way over and above what an objective person looking at their situation would have imagined to be possible. Paul commends the example of the Macedonians to the Corinthians, and they remain a great example for us today. Generosity is not about how much we have. It is about the condition of our hearts. When our hearts are as they should be, once we've encountered the extravagant grace of God, we should be eager to give in all ways, including financially, and our giving should never be about how little we can get by with. A heart truly captured by Christ results in giving that exceeds expectations, Paul wrote of Christ, our ultimate example in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I think we can agree that God exceeded expectations. He did more than anyone could have assessed was reasonable for him to do. A heart captured by Christ ought to result in generosity, in giving that exceeds expectations. And Paul then moves from upholding the Macedonians as examples to making some very direct, very specific appeals to the Corinthians. And each of these appeals are very instructive for us on the topic of financial giving yet today. Before we look at those two appeals, I want to direct your attention to what Paul writes in the very first part of verse 8. He starts out that verse, I am not commanding you. I am not commanding you. Consistent with Paul's more well-known writing in uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7, Paul acknowledges here the importance of giving being a matter of the heart. It isn't to be done reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not a matter of legality. It's not to be enforced in a legalistic way. Paul seems to indicate uh, that there isn't an enforcement mechanism he can use or even desires to use, so he's not commanding, but he is appealing. And that has always been our posture here at Vineyard Christian Church about financial giving. I don't think I can, or our elders can, or our leader, all our leaders combined can command anyone on this topic. I cannot demand that you do what you ought to do. We have never uh, approached this in a legalistic manner around here. And as long as I am the pastor of the church, by God's grace, we will never do that. Paul doesn't command, but he does appeal. And if you'll really be open and listen closely to how he appeals, we see that these are very strong appeals. They're very compelling appeals. They are persuasive appeals. In fact, I find his appeal so persuasive that it makes commanding completely unnecessary and irrelevant, even if that would be effective. While while Paul won't command, there is a sense in his writing that he shouldn't need to command because the appeal should be effective without resorting to commanding. Paul doesn't command, but he makes some really hard-hitting appeals. And so let's consider them today. Verse 8. I am not commanding you, but but there's always something good coming. I'm not doing it, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. Just concentrate on that sentence for a second. The context is an appeal to give an offering. And Paul, the apostle, says that what they do with this offering is a test of the sincerity of their love. The sincerity of their love for God. The sincerity of their love for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Giving. Financial giving is a test of the sincerity of our love for God. It provides evidence of the sincerity of our love for God. Friends, this is not a legalistic fundamentalist doing the writing here. It is the Apostle Paul. He tells the Corinthians very directly and he tells us that giving is a test of the sincerity of our love. Friends, we can debate a lot of things about giving in the context of the church. We can debate a lot of things on the topic of tithing. But here is something that simply is not debatable. If the purposes of God do not show up in your checkbook, something is not as it should be. I love my kids and they show up in my checkbook. (laughs) I love my wife and she shows up in my checkbook. Not as much as she thinks would be more reasonable, but she does show up there. And in fairness, I should acknowledge she puts things in the checkbook as well. Let the record show. Things we love show up in our checkbooks. It's just a fact. It is a fact. It is an indisputable fact. If you love God, he is going to show up in your checkbook. You are going to give to his work in the world if you love him. Paul says giving is a test of the sincerity of our love. He doesn't stop there. He also says that he is testing the sincerity of their love By comparing it to the earnestness of others. Here's the clear meaning of this Paul is comparing the Corinthians to the Macedonians. The sincerity of their love, according to Paul, is being revealed as he puts them up next to the earnestness of the Macedonians. You see, the Macedonians have shown themselves to be serious about their intentions to give. They have put forth serious effort to give. They were zealous about giving even in their poverty. And so Paul's telling the Corinthians straight up, I am comparing you to the churches in Macedonia, and I am making determinations about your sincerity with this comparison. I'm not commanding you, but I am telling you that your giving or lack of giving reveals something about your love, and I'm telling you that I am comparing you to others in assessing the sincerity of your love. Folks in 2015 don't like talk like this. The reality is, folks then probably didn't like talk like this either. But Paul was more concerned with being truthful than he was with keeping everybody happy. Now imagine a pastor walks into their church on Sunday morning and he informs the congregation, this is a pastor somewhere in the world, not here, somewhere else. He says, I've been asking around the other churches for how their congregations are doing with giving. I'm using that information to assess the sincerity of our love as a church. I just want you to know that I'm comparing you to the other churches in town to see if you are as sincere as they are, and so far you're not faring very well. People would be outraged. The harumphing would be audible. In the auditorium. And yet, this is essentially what Paul did. He compared them. He appealed to them based on a comparison between themselves and the Macedonians. So his first appeal was a comparison appeal. Let's look at his second appeal, verse 10. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. He is appealing to their commitment. He is appealing to them to keep their commitment. They were not forced to express their intention to give to the church in Jerusalem. Their arms had not been twisted. They were not commanded against their will to do so. They had willingly express their intention to give. They willingly made the commitment. And since they did so willingly, Paul says that they ought to keep it to finish the work, to complete, to make good on what they said they would do. So he makes a comparison appeal. He makes a commitment appeal. Do what you said you'd do, he tells them. Be people who keep your word. And then look at verse 12. For if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. We saw in the example of the Macedonians that generosity is not a matter of means, it is a matter of the heart. And here we learn that while that remains true, no one is asked to give what they don't have. They are only asked to give from what they do have. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's good to know because I don't have anything to give. Then you didn't understand Paul correctly. He did not say the gift is acceptable according to what one has left over. After they have prioritized everything except the purposes of God, he wrote the gift is acceptable according to what one has. What one has is their income. Whatever their financial means are. No one is ever asked to give inconsistent with their means, but everyone is expected to give consistent with the means that they do have. If you have income, this is the means that you have to work with. If you don't have income, you are not expected to give. That's what this is about. The means are your income. What is available to you to work with? If you have income, the purposes of God ought to show up in your budget. Paul appeals by comparison. He appeals based on commitment. And he makes it clear he isn't asking for the impossible. That that would be asking someone to give and they don't have an income. He's not asking for the impossible. But he is asking for the very reasonable standard that out of what people do have... They give according to that. So let's apply Paul's appeals to the Corinthians to giving in the church today, including on this topic of tithing. Just as comparing the Corinthians to the Macedonians told Paul some things about the Corinthians, comparisons still tell us some things about ourselves. Comparisons reveal things about us. Remember, Paul is testing the sincerity of the Corinthians' love according to how they compared with the giving of the Macedonians. So here's how we can apply this in our own lives. I'm not going to compare anybody, but I'm asking each of us individually to engage in a comparison. Here's an example. You know your brother or sister in Christ is committed to giving a substantial portion of their income to the work of God in the world and you know you're not giving substantially, perhaps not giving at all, that comparison between the brother and sister who you know is committed to it and yourself who you know you are not committed to it should cause a person to ask some questions about themselves. Why is that person committed to this and I'm not? What's up with that? If you are a highly professional, highly compensated person, and you drop a $5 bill in the offering plate every couple of weeks and call it good, and you know someone who isn't in a professional position, is actually in a position that is known for being modest or maybe even very low in pay, but you happen to have heard this person, uh, this person share one time that they were committed to giving 10% of their income to the work of God in the world. That comparison between what you're doing and what they're doing should cause you to ask some questions. Why is this person of more modest means than myself willing to give this percentage of their income to the work of God and I'm not? What does that say? What does that reveal about me? You see, comparisons tell us things and we ought to listen to what they tell us. And we can dislike this. I'm sure a number of you right now dislike this. But Paul seemed to think it was an appropriate appeal to let the Corinthians know that these comparisons were happening. He went so far as to let them know he was judging their love by the comparison, by how their giving compared to the Macedonians. So here's a form of comparison that I'm asking every person who calls this your church home to engage in. If this is not your church home, I'm not asking you to do this. But if this is your church home, I want you to do this. It's your home and you have an income. Ask yourself this question. If you don't have an income, it doesn't apply to you either. But if this is your church and you have an income, it applies. Here it is. What if everyone did what I do? What if everyone did what I do? What if everyone gave like I give? So if you just throw a five in the plate every week, what if everyone did what you do? Well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. We're not planting a church in New Lexington if everyone did what you do. We would not have even the modest building that we have to worship in and train our kids in and pray in and meet together in. We, we wouldn't have that if everyone did as you do. We couldn't support the ministries of the church if everyone did as you do. All of the staff members of the church would need to be immediately let go if everyone did as you do. And the examples could go on and on, but here's the point. We need to engage in this form of comparison, engage this question, what if everyone did what I do? And friends, this is a great question to ask ourselves in every area of life not just giving but in anything really what if everyone served like i serve what if everyone served like i serve for too many people let me just share what the answer would be if everyone served like i serve no one would be available to teach our children if everyone served like i serve no one would serve at the food pantry if everyone served like i serve no one would welcome the guests that god sends us If everyone served like I serve, no one would open their home to a small group if everyone did what I do. It's a great question that everyone should answer. What if everyone did what I do? Because comparisons tell us things. They reveal things about us. Here's another thing Paul says. Commitments ought to be kept. And here's an application for us today. Every person here who is a member of the congregation, you made a commitment to give regularly and substantially. And so no matter what your personal views are on giving, no matter what you believe or don't believe about giving and or tithing, you made a commitment to give regularly and substantially. Are you keeping your commitment? Paul teaches that commitments ought to be kept. Note that giving to the Jerusalem church's need was voluntary. But once the Corinthians said that they were going to do it, Paul said they needed to keep their voluntary commitment. As far as I know, No one has ever become a member here against their will. I don't think it's, maybe one or two of you, a spouse, like kind of drug you along. But for the most part, I don't think anyone's ever become a member here against their will. I don't think anyone has ever been forced to stay here against their will. And you're thinking, I'll fix that this week. So if you're here and you're a member here, this is a voluntary choice that you've made. And it is a voluntary choice that came with a commitment that you affirmed in writing that you would give regularly and substantially. So I don't think it's being too hard on anybody to agree with Paul and say... You ought to keep your commitment. Amen, Brian. (laughs) You ought to keep that commitment, and you also ought to commit yourself to growing in the grace of giving. And let me just share what growing in the grace of giving would look like. Again, we do not approach this legalistically here. So here's what growing in the grace of giving would look like. I'm not going to tell someone here today that is giving nothing, well, you need to give 10% of your income starting next week. I think that'd be great. I think if you did it, you would see that you would be just fine and that God would bless you for doing it. But, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say take a step in the right direction. Take a next step. So if you are not giving anything at all, start giving something. Give something. Get consistent and comfortable with something. See that you can give that and still be okay. If you're giving something, but it isn't regular or substantial, start giving regularly and substantially. And if you are giving regularly or substantially, I would encourage you to take a next step and start tithing, which is giving 10% of your income. Because friends, here's the truth. Just because the membership commitment is regular and substantial does not make that the gold standard commitment when it comes to giving. I would love for everyone in the church and in every church to grow in the grace of giving to the point where they would be committed to tithing and then keep growing from there. And so I want to spend just a few minutes, and I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly, but I want to lay out a very brief case for you for tithing. It's a topic upon which there are a lot of varying opinions. I acknowledge that, and I respect that. I absolutely do. But I want to share three things with you that I at least believe are indisputably true about tithing. There are a lot of things we could debate. I think these three things are indisputably true. Number one, tithing is a biblical principle. Now notice what I've said. It is a principle. I did not say it is the most important topic in the Bible because it isn't. I did not say there isn't room for varying opinions on tithing because there, there is room for such things but it's indisputably true in my view that it is a biblical principle. It predates the Mosaic law. It shows up throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament where people are so fond of saying that tithing doesn't show up. When Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for being more concerned about tithing than they are more important matters, he's clear to say that they need to give the greatest attention to the more important matters while not neglecting tithing. And if you don't believe that's there, you can look it up in Matthew 23, 23. So first of all, tithing is a biblical principle. Not to be legalistic, but it's a principle. Secondly, tithing has been the practice of much of the Christian church throughout much of church history. Again, note what I have not said I did not say there has never been any variation. I did not say that church history shows that tithing has been practiced by the church in all places and all times. In fact, my best, admittedly modest with the time I had available, but the the research that I did on this this week kind of revealed that it appears that the first few hundred years of the church existence, the emphasis was on giving more generally rather than tithing specifically. And that it was probably around the 5th or 6th century when tithing started to become the norm for the church. But that doesn't change that it is indisputably true that it has been the practice of much of the Christian church throughout much of church history. And I know there are some here today who are probably tempted to think with me being honest enough to share what I just shared with you. That if it can't be proving that, proven that tithing has been front and center in all places and at all times in the church, then we should not bother to embrace it as the norm today. And I'd simply remind you that there have been a lot of good things about the Christian church that have developed throughout the history of the church. And I'd like to remind you that it's not unbiblical for the church from time to time to say, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is. That's what they did in Acts 15. Provided that thing is not forbidden in Scripture or inconsistent with Scripture, there is nothing wrong with it. And so it is indisputable that tithing is a biblical principle. It is indisputable that tithing has been the practice of much of the Christian church throughout much of history. These are very solid reasons why someone would affirm the practice today. There are a whole bunch more reasons that I'm not going to go into today, but there are uh, those are two solid reasons why someone would affirm this practice today. And this leads to my final point on this brief case for tithing. Tithing is a biblical principle. But what if it wasn't? Tithing has been practiced by much of the Christian church throughout much of church history, but what if it hadn't? Would there be anything unbiblical or inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture if tithing was simply a practice that the church at any point in time decided to appeal for its members to do as a means of supporting the mission of the church in the world? I believe the answer to that question is absolutely not. You see, the church universal and all local churches are voluntary association entities. And there is absolutely nothing unbiblical or inconsistent with Scripture for the whole church or individual local churches to say to its members, as a matter of general practice, because of our love for God, and the importance of fulfilling the job that God has given us in the world, we are asking that our members commit to giving 10% of their income to the mission of God through his church in the world. Nothing wrong with that at all. So tithing is a biblical principle that's been practiced throughout much of church history. But if you have convinced yourself that those things are not true and you will not let go of that thought... Let it be known that there's nothing unbiblical or inconsistent with the Bible for a church to say because we value the cause of Christ enough we ask our members to fund the work of God in this way give 10% to God's purposes in the world. Friends, I pray that all of us would be committed to growing in the grace of giving. If If you are not giving, start, start. Take that next step from wherever you are at. Let's be open today to learn from the example of the Macedonians. Let's be open today to receive Paul's appeals, the comparison appeal and the commitment appeal, and allow those appeals to bear the intended fruit in our lives. And let's never forget that if God has our hearts, if we love him, he is going to show up in our checkbooks. And so my appeal for every one of us here today is to commit yourself to growing in the grace of giving, to commit yourself to excel in this grace of financial giving. Why don't you stand?